So, listen to that lovely, lovely introduction music that you're hearing right now, and I can't. Um, yeah, welcome to Androids and Assets, the political economy of science fiction, a uh, podcast where we talk about the, you know, we take your favorite science fiction franchises, and we look at, and we ask the questions, where's the money? Where's the power? Who's in charge? Who's who's suffering? Uh, and, you know, really, really take the things you love and nitpick them to death. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, but like, okay, okay, yes, we do that. No, I. But we yeah. come from a place of love. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we love all of these things. We wouldn't. Uh, yeah, I mean, wouldn't nitpick something I didn't love. I'm Stephen, <laughs> and I'm Marshall. That's right. We are. We are your hosts. Your your guides. This magical journey. Oh boy! Uh, hey, somebody, <laughs> somebody's got some weird energy going on. Today. I do. You know, I've been telling a lot of. <laughs> mo- mo- I, I tell. I tell fifteen stories to toddlers every day so i'm I'm developing a certain modus operandi great excellent more stories are good yeah get your kids hooked on uh fantasy early right yes welcome to uh, androids and assets today we're talking about death's end this is the uh the conclusion to uh Lu's trilogy beginning with uh the three-body problem continuing with the dark forest and then uh the one we're discussing today death's end it was published originally in Chinese in 2010. Uh, it was translated in 2016 into English. And in 2017, it was nominated for the Hugo uh, Best Novel, and it was the winner of the Locus Award for uh, Best Science Fiction Novel. What, who did it lose to for the Hugo? Uh, for, for the Hugo in 2017, I, I think that would have been uh, N.K. Jemison's second. Oh, yeah. Okay, uh, yeah, you can't, you can't beat N.K. Jemison. There's, there's, yeah, there's no beating her. You can't win. Nobody should beat her. No, that's fair. Those are very, I mean, those, yeah. She deserved those. Wins. Fifth season, uh, that trilogy is so good. Uh, anyway, moving on. This book, Death's End. I, I don't know where to start, Marshall. This is, it's so big. <laughs> it's big. And, it's, and the two books before it are pretty big also. So, yeah. Well, and I mean. Uh, wow. Okay. How are we going to do this? I think well, that's, that's a good place to start. For, for me, that it's big uh, is a good place. It's also, it's, um, it's a positive for me. That's a. Uh, I went, nice, takes its time, goes really deep into some shit, you know? Yeah, and it, like it's not only just a big book in number of pages, but it's a big book in the ideas that it includes and uh, the the future that it imagines is expansive. Yeah, I mean, it starts with the fall of Byzantium and ends <laughs> eight and a half million years in the future. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know. Yeah, like yeah. it's it's uh, it's all over the map. Um, yeah, so... I don't know, like, uh, if so we're, we are assuming at this point that uh, you have read at least Death's End and preferably the other two books as well. Uh, so, so we're, this we're required reading these. for this podcast, <laughs> the most popular thing in podcasts. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. Uh, so if you haven't read these books yet, we want you to pause the podcast, drop everything else you're doing, and go out and read Death's End. We'll wait. We're back. Uh, welcome to one or two months into the future, and uh, we're ready to finally talk about Death's End. So, Marshall, why don't you start us off with uh, kind of just maybe like a, a scant summary for those who didn't follow our instructions? <laughs> <laughs> sure. So, a very, a very quick and like scant summary of this is you have um, Cheng Jin, who is the main character, uh, a lady who is part of uh, the world government's efforts to uh fend off uh the the invasion by the trisolarans uh, the the planetary intelligence agency or yes. PIA <laughs> exactly yes uh her boss is Wade uh 
with whom she has sort of an antagonistic relationship. Uh, she has a star-crossed lover, uh, Yuan Tian Min. Yuan Tian Min. Yuan Tian Min, uh, who he's in love with her, but he never tells her that he's in love with her. Uh, and then the most romantic me. thing you can do. So, so um, next to washing someone's hair. <laughs> the, the book starts with... Uh, you you see the Trisolarans are coming to invade Earth. Um, this is before the Sword Holder era. Yeah, deterrence era. Yes, this is the, yeah before the deterrence era, right? Yes. Um, and they're still trying to figure out like how can we survive with the Trisolarans? Like we're in big trouble here. Uh, and uh, so they you know they're they're building a fleet and they're building built a fleet. Yeah, they built a fleet. They go out to meet the rinky dink little probe. The Trisolarian fleet proper has, like, slowed down to a near standstill. Right, right. Uh, and they're like, oh, we've got this, guys. And this, this is how Dark Forest ends. And they're like, we've won. And that rinky-dink probe destroys their entire fleet, save two ships. Right, Who right. run the fuck away. Yeah, they just, they just blast off as, just, as fast as they can. Which, fair. <laughs> uh, so, then, so then the Trisolarians are like, yep, we're going to invade. And then you have the sword holder who's like, nope, here's the thing. Uh, if you come in, I'm going to broadcast our location yeah. to the entire universe. Yeah. And, then, uh, and, and so then this place will not be habitable anymore. Like somebody will destroy us. Yeah. So then the Triceratons are like, oh, okay, I guess we're not coming in. So then uh, there's a mutually assured destruction arrangement, basically. Right. Um, with, with, yeah, and that becomes the deterrence era. It's the madman thesis. Um, and everything is good during that era. Yeah. And, yeah essentially. Life is nice. Um, is this when, no, cause it's, it's a while later that, uh, oh, because, oh yeah. So then Ching Zin, Shin, uh, she, her, her, her lover who never told her yeah. that he was in love, bought her a star. Yuan Tianmin. Yeah. Yuan Tianmin bought her a star. It turns out that the star has, uh, planets around it and, uh, uh, the earth buys those planets from her. And she becomes like the most wealthy person in the world. Yeah. And then she goes to sleep. Lots of, lots of time. Is again, we span many, many eras. It's, <laughs> yeah. So then she wakes up some, some numbers of years later. And uh, this is like, the, it's been all deterrence era up to this point. You have the sword holder, uh, Luoji, who is like. Who's a hundred years old. Over a hundred years old. He's quite old at this point, And he's going to retire as sword holder. And she comes back and she takes the job of sword holder and, uh, and fails at it. And the Trifolarans destroy the the deterrence system and and they're like yep we're coming and invading trisolarans come and invade they subjugate the earth um and things are bad bad yeah, yeah. everyone's like pulled up on australia uh and then one of the ships that had escaped earlier in the book realizes this and they become the sword holder essentially by yeah. by threatening the trisolarans that if you don't leave we're going to broadcast the location of the earth uh, in this case well they broadcast the location of trisolaris oh right and and in, and in what is the single greatest plot hole in this book that somehow causes trisolaris to fuck off well i think it's because of the threat of of like they become mm-hmm. soul turtles of like look we told everyone where trisolaris is we could just the same do it to earth except they can't because the heavy reaction core of the of gravity's gravity transmitter has failed and they don't have another one trisolarians so. don't know that uh, they do the sofans. Are the sofans there? Uh, not at that point because they ah. cross. Well, they cross. They cross through the four dimensional object, and that causes the sofans to that shreds the sofans. And also, it's also why the strong matter reaction probes don't. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, <coughs> some details there. So, <laughs> trisolarans. The trisolarans sort of like are like, oh, okay, we're gonna we're gonna take off, and Earth is back to being run by humans again. Uh, and then then humans have to sort of decide like, how are they going to proceed going into the future. 
uh, because now they're they're worried about the location of Earth was also broadcast. Right, it was the location of Earth and Trisolaris. Sorry. Yes. So, yeah. So now they're so now the, they're the, how do they employ people on the, Earth know that it's coming and they're like shoot okay well we saw what happened to Trisolaris that's going to happen to Earth so they they then like come with a plan because the the way that solar systems are destroyed is you attack the star the star goes supernova basically and destroys all of the planets basically or at least all the inner planets yeah so they so decide they're like okay well build. here's what we'll do we'll just like we can build shelters on the far side of a planet of Jupiter. And then when the Earth go, the sun goes supernova, we'll be safe because we're on the like the dark side of yeah. a large planet. The other alternative is for them to attempt to develop uh, faster than light travel, which they um, decide not to do. They think that anybody who is attempting to leave Earth this way or to like escape um, is yeah. a traitor. Yeah, escapism is really a big problem. Uh, so the, yeah, so people, the, the, yeah, they go through this like period of like trying to develop uh, some like. Habitats on the far side of Jupiter. That turns out to be not effective, but fortunately somebody uh, secretly developed uh, faster than light travel. And thank goodness, because they were not attacked just by someone blowing up the the sun, but by someone folding their three dimensions down into two dimensions. And the only way to escape from this is to travel faster than light away from the uh, this this flattening flattening folding action um unfortunately there's only a small number of ships uh Qingxin, being one of the wealthiest people in the world is of course afforded one of these ships as the only one the only one yeah. the only one yeah. of these ships uh so a very small number of humans survive uh Qingxin being one of them and they they escape into the universe which is you know undergoing serious problems of flattening a whole over the universe, so you encounter like strips where it's either people have well be, be, because you can either there's there's two ways to avoid detection: slow down the speed of light, which happens when you travel at the speed of light. If you travel at the speed of light, you cause any area Dead behind zone. you to have to to have a slower speed of light. It reduces the speed of light everywhere. So you, so in some ways, you're not traveling faster than light; you're just decreasing the speed of light where you are, going ahead of that. Yeah, it's like a, it's kind of like a warp bubble. Yeah, but instead of being like a temporary perversion of the space-time continuum it's a permanent one scars scars space-time yeah uh so so they as they're traveling through the galaxy through the universe they encounter these like scars all over yeah and if it's also it's also a weaponized system because if you scar somebody all around their planet you can lower it so much that they can't they can't ever escape because all of a sudden now the the speed of light is less than the acceleration of gravity so you can lower the speed of light to like 35 kilometers uh, an hour yeah <laughs> yeah and so it would so for so the time it would take to reach your Oort cloud would be like traveling at 35 kilometers an hour yeah so it's um so they're they're encountering these all over and then they they uh you know there's there's this like love story that's sort of in there uh changjin meets up again with yuan tian min um they they're going to a planet but then of course they unfortunately hit a uh a scar the speed of light is slowed and then he's on the planet and they die but they've left instructions on how to create a pocket dimension so then they create it's it's changing and and who's left wade or luo G? fat it's a different guy uh, some other guy yeah <laughs> another character there's it's a big book there's lots of them um they form a they they form this pocket dimension that they live in happily you know for a long time until they receive a mysterious message from like they get the kill screen of the universe basically <laughs> congratulations to all the civilizations that survived this bit this this, this time around, you bang, a big snap at the end of the cosmos. Yeah. Um, but there's a problem. Too many people have built too many shelters and there's not enough matter for the big bang, the big snap and big bang to reoccur. So everyone has to give up their matter. Basically, the aliens who are sheltering themselves die off to allow restart again. Yeah. So you have sort of like three distinct periods, four, four 
distinct periods in this book. Yeah. There's You've got like the first period where they're preparing for deterrence. Yeah. Crisis era, deterrence era, occupation era, and maybe. then bunker era, and then post bunker yeah. era. Post bunker era. <laughs> I can't remember what they actually yeah. term yeah, it. Yeah, but. Yeah. So, and, and Cheng Jin is there for, for each of these eras. She's, she's one of the like consistent observers. Well, she's not, and she not, she, her, her like meta narrative in this book is a book she's written that has chapters interspersed throughout the. Right. The yes. actual chapter. Like it's all supposed to be, yeah, her writing. So she's nominally the narrator. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, like I said, like I, I, I liked a lot of this. It was, it was quite bold in its vision. Um, it has, it has a very realized vision of the future. It, it kind of, it, it knows what it wants to do. Yeah. Um, even if it has difficulty sometimes expressing those things to you, mm. um, it's got, it's got a big bold vision, and it's kind of one of these like I think fundamental pillars of science fiction. There's like different things you can do, but imagining huge change and how we would react to that change. Um, is one of them, and and uh, Lou does that several times in this book, four four times at least, where there's like yeah. big change. How do we react? Big change from that. How do we react? Um, Aliens exist. Oh no, you're losing a dimension. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like there's there's lots. So and it and it's got big ideas, right? It's got this this whole how do you travel faster than light? Well, it's kind of like the you travel on a curve and the curvature and yeah, of the curvature of space time. And if you are able to significantly sublimate, you know, like the, the distortions in space time, space time itself of light, but then you a long standing distortion. Yeah, like all that kind of stuff. Like they analogize it. They they introduce an analogy in the book which is not helpful not at <laughs> all helpful but i think about soap on like a whirlpool i don't know <laughs> yeah like a soap bubble on whirlpool yeah sure so there you go that's right. it you've got it now now you uh, too can yeah. travel faster than the speed of light but don't do it because seriously it will fuck your shit right up so the, like the book is very imaginative and, it, and it's got yeah. like i thought it was a neat idea they they moved underground um because it was better for like accessing resources and for being efficient and um so they build these like huge trees that are like superstructures and they live in them and everyone has like wireless power yeah so all your phone never runs out of battery because they're they're transmitting uh alternating current power over the air so yeah yeah so like it was just a, a like a uh basically like a, a proto post scarcity society yeah living underground and it was really, really neat. Yeah, and they have, because to build a big cavern underground, you need, you need pillars. So the pillars, and then you build your buildings off of the pillars, like branches on the trees, right? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. I thought, I thought um, that was very cool. It was very cool, and it was very imaginative, and it was very, like... It was fun. Yeah, it was, yeah. It, it was, it was, it was very fun. Um, so those are, those are things that I really like mm-hmm. about the book. Some of the, the things that I, I liked less about the book, uh, I found the characters to be fairly flat. They were more a caricature. They were sort of there to serve a purpose, but not so much be a story about them. But it was like, here's some ideas that I want to get out and I need some characters. Yeah. And I have so many ideas that I want to write everything in here that I need this book to, have, to span thousands of years. But I don't want to go through the work of having new characters each time. And I don't blame you. That would be That's really very, hard. I mean, very. And thank, as a reader, thank you. Yes, <laughs> thank you for absolutely. not doing that. <laughs> uh, but, it, but it did mean that then they, they had the same character show up in in multiple eras and they they should have been more fish out of watery each time but they never were it was sort of like oh this is weird to me but it's fine i'm good mm-hmm. i can totally operate <clears throat> because they didn't need to operate as themselves they needed to operate as an idea that he had so i found i found the characters to be flat they lack they lack dynamic range yeah okay yeah like luoji is just always sort of a stern and sullen weirdo 
Yeah. And Cheng Jin is always worried about everyone. Yeah. She's very compassionate. Well, just very nice all the time. She's a very, very, very nice person. Not a good person to hold the pin of a grenade. I don't know. She's, <laughs> I, I still don't, I, I mean, you think, you think, you think you interpret that as a judgment, like as a, as a negative thing, but I, I don't. But anyway, we'll, we'll get well, to that. Okay. So this sort of yeah. gets into our second point because, well, my, my second point, mm-hmm. uh, because while these characters were pretty flat, I also thought the ideas they were filling was sort of like this gender essentialism of like, Cheng Xin is the essential woman. She is compassionate. She's thoughtful. She's kind. But ultimately, she's also weak and the cause of humanity's destruction. Yeah. And Luoji and Wade and Yuan Tin Min, these are men and they do things and they're action oriented and they save us. Yeah. Uh, and even though they go against, you know, what Cheng Jin... Com- com- popular morality. <laughs> yeah. 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 Like Cheng Jin yeah. says, oh, we can't do that. And it was given to her to make this decision. They go behind her back and do it anyway because they know what's right and they know what's needed. And thank goodness they did this because otherwise we'd all be dead. Right. Yeah. So, I, yeah, I found that... Yeah. The gender politics were problematic for me. Yeah, particularly in the sense that, like, yeah. So what happens is at one point we talk about like, the deterrence era. There's like this this way where they'll broadcast the location of Earth and Trisolaris to the to the dark to the aliens who will blow up who will blow up those planets when they find out about them. Um, but basically, like the the person who's responsible as the sword is the sword holder, and the person has to push the button to send the transmission. And um, Chung Shin gets this post. He's elected to this post. Yeah, because um, Luo G is like, I'm too old. I can't keep doing this. I have to retire. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so then Chung Shin basically is, gets it and for set and holds the job for seven minutes, which is the time it takes for all of the deterrence capacity to be destroyed by the by the Trisolarans. Um, and then and Mar- and and I think in the in the and bad things happen. Hundo P. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Many, many, many terrible things happen as a result of that decision. Um, it leads to enormous death, yeah. huge amounts of suffering, and and the the near extinction of humanity. But not the total extinction of humanity, which is what would have happened if she had pushed the button, right? Well, yes, for sure. So, so this is this is where I say that I actually think the book comes down with actually some ambivalence towards that. That like that there is a the time to point. show strength and there's a time to show compassion, and that there, even though it was difficult, even though it hurt, showing compassion was the right thing to do. I I mean, and this is where there's inter- there's an interpretive issue here right and it just in the geological time frame like in the, in the swooping vastness of this in the long run that turns out to be not not necessarily to have been a bad thing and that actually you know and i and i say and i say this where the book has an ambivalence about it it looks bad it seems bad it feels bad but you know compared with actually if you think about the alternative if a strong if a strong man had been at the helm you know um, would I mean? I mean, probably then the Trisolarans would not have done it. I guess is the thing that's, that they say. That's exactly the the, the um, point that, of it. Because was, cause it was, G was the sword holder. Mm-hmm. Yeah, would not have done that at that time. And and they waited until he was not the sword holder mm-hmm. because they were concerned about. Yeah. This destruction. Yeah. If, the, if it was a judgment of like, ah, it doesn't matter, well, the, then they would have attacked earlier. Yeah. Well, the Trisolarans correctly assessed that it was not a was not a psychopath and would not kill everyone. Uh, right. <laughs> you know. So I'm. I, I mean, I don't think that um, the the author Lu like condemns Cheng Jin for this or says like it's totally wrong to have done. But I definitely do think that it's like because she was a woman, it ended up this way. Yeah. And my and my my read on that. Just which is I and I don't I don't I I think that's there and you can definitely have that reading but I think there's an, my my read on that was like the the flaw was with the was more with the society that chose her 
they picked her because they thought they could have both compassion and toughness that they could be that they could be a utopian post scarcity society and be infinitely compassionate and hold a gun to to the head of the Trisolarans and they couldn't be done and that there was that fundamental contradiction in their in their social values that chose Chongxin, who did what she was going to do because that's who she was and that was who they picked. Yes, I don't disagree with that. But how did uh, Lou characterize that yes. society? Well, yes, as, as as feminine. Yeah, yeah, yes, and that's why I think that, like, even more strongly with that point of view, the gender essentialism gets gets reinforced. Yeah, and and this is and this is where and this is where I guess, like I say, I I. I, I want to give him the better. I want to give him the, you know, <laughs> I, I, I want to give him the benefit of the doubt. I want to say, I mean, this thing, part of the thing is we're working in a world of translation of, of, of a fairly uh, complex, not just of language, but also then I guess conceptually. And we talk about like, you know, like this things that these things that are maybe associated with femininity or get translated as feminine, you know, might not necessarily bear, like might not necessarily be gender essentializing in the way they are in some other instances, but I could definitely be wrong about that. It could just be misogyny. So, uh, you well, know, I mean, like, and, and, that's, and maybe, maybe not like an active I just misogyny, but there was definitely like, even, uh, there's the description of like when, when men, men were men. men in the 1980s, when coincidentally the author would have been a young man. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Just and ever <laughs> since the 1980s, men became less and less like yeah. men. Increasingly effeminate. Look at, look at K-pop bands, et cetera. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So uh, that, I mean, that, 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 that like is a, relatively unambiguous. <laughs> yeah. That doesn't seem like a translation issue. Fair, anyway. Fair enough. But I guess in terms of then, in terms of then like his comp- compassion, you know, you can't like, you know, like you associate compassion as, as feminine, you know, like, well, then, yes, then this society was compassionate and that was its problem. It couldn't be compassionate. Well, right. Being a sword holder. Right. And, and I think that that's and then and then and then and then if there is other gender garbage that gets dragged into that, then, yes, that is problematic. And Yeah. So that's mm-hmm. that's where I was like, it can <laughs> it really it really hit me. It was a it was a gut punch. The other thing that bothered me this is like my other my other big thing that I had trouble enjoying this book. It is uh, it is really pessimistic uh, and and cynical about society and power. And now don't get me wrong, I am pessimistic and cynical about society and power. But I like my science fiction to be optimistic. So Lou sort of imagines that the the only way to protect yourself is to either remain completely hidden and like not let anyone ever know that you exist because otherwise they'll destroy you, or to wrap yourself in a protective, destructive bubble of slow time. (laughs) A a black domain, as they call it. Yeah. Yeah, with the death lines or with with the lights. Yeah. 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 Or to, like, have the power to lash out and destroy other civilizations before they can destroy you. Those are the options. Yeah, there there is something something of a Darwinian universe. Yes. Where there are things... And when other, when there are, there are large, there are large space-faring civilizations, and when other space-faring civilizations, they just straight up, they see them and they kill them. That's it. Yeah. There, there, there is there no is, interaction. There is this entity in the universe that is doing this, and presumably has some, received some sort of outsized benefit. Um, we also, the only thing we we get one scene with them in the book. Um, yeah, they're they're do, they're the guy. He's like the guy who sends the envelope. The guy who sends the the the, the two-dimensional weapon to Earth. Like, oh, we never get to use these. That's cool. 
<laughs> they talk about like that they're fighting the home planet, and in their war with the home planet, they can't afford distractions or, or the or the thought that someone might side with the home planet. So presumably, then both of these factions that actually destroys Earth and the home planet, their antagonists, um, are also <laughs> like are also annihilating these people. So yeah, but I think it's what you mean by pessimistic. Like it buys absolutely the, the universe. Is, it's not a Star Trek. It's not the universe is full of lights traveling, light speed traveling, uh, super powerful civilizations who see like yeah, we can make whatever we want at anything. So we don't fight over anything. We're just right, really right, cool. right, right, right. We just, we just show up and like, hey, cool, bra. That's a neat thing you got there. Well, and I, I mean, like, there's conflict in Star Trek, yeah, sure. but but it's not like this all or nothing conflict yeah. that that you see from from a Death's End. Mm-hmm. And like, I think another really really good example of things that I I like uh, is Becky Chambers and her Galactic Common, whereas like Earth was dying and there was an exodus. The best spaceships we could come up with, like as a fleet leaving Earth, and we came across some aliens, and they were like, "Oh shit, you're in trouble." And your ships are bad. We're going to patch you up. We're going to help you. We're going to get you some good engines here. We're going to get you a place to live. We're going to help uh, upgrade your technology. And like, you know, like if you can pay us back sometime, that's cool. But like, wow, you're in a bad way. Yeah, the universe is fundamentally more compassionate. Yeah. A more compassionate society. I guess if the universe was just more feminist (laughs) and less masculine. Well, I mean, yeah, sure. (laughs) Yeah, but that's, but that, yeah, so like, and that, that's problematic that then there's a sort of like, um, that, yeah, because I mean, because ultimately, ultimately, all three of these books are, are a meditation on Fermi's paradox. Like, with all the number of stars, why are there no, where, where, where are them aliens? Yeah, exactly. Um, and, and it's a fair, it's a fair question, Fermi. Um, but yeah, and then, and, and obviously, Mr. Lou's solution to this is to say, well, because there are some aliens who got there first and, are very jealously guarding their spot. <laughs> the, 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 and fuck it, you, I got yeah, mine, I, aliens. The, the libertarian aliens are out there. And, and they will shoot on sight. They are, they are bad guys with a gun <laughs> <laughs> that blows up stars. Yeah. And so, you know, yeah, I mean, or, or, yeah, or, and possibly more than one. I think there's this notion that there's different space spacefaring civilizations. And, uh, they, I mean, not the only person to have posited this, you know, I think it's a very common trope. The reason there's no aliens is because there is a, there is a death, a death drive in the universe haunting yeah. all life. Um, you know, that, but certainly, so did, did but you have any other fun? No, do I, did I have any, did you have any other like big, either like prose or, yeah, or critique? I, I mean, I, I mean, one of my big things, I guess, in terms of like, as a literary narrative, I'm, I'm, I'm very hesitant. <laughs> I guess I'm very, I'm very cautious of this book. I feel like there's a lot I didn't get. I feel like there's cultural context, mm. uh, particularly given it's like very historical. I mean, particularly like um, the earlier books, uh, it's very historical context. Like, yes. like, I mean, one of the things that made the three body problem so amazing was it, the fact that it was situated inside the Chinese cultural revolution, which is, I think if you know anything about the Chinese cultural revolution, you understand how grossly ignorant uh, people in the West are of it and understanding it <laughs> and how it's a, it's a wildly, uh, complex and, and and bizarre historical episode um that 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 continues to impact china and the world this day in ways we don't aren't aware and don't understand so i'm very so in this sense i'm very and, and i think in, in the way that this text handles that and deals with things that i think are very un, interesting and unique to china i i want to i think accommodate and and respect those but i also you know you know so it makes it it makes it really it it, it relegates me to the role of observer in a lot of ways and really it defangs me critically, I guess. <laughs> that's, I'm like, no, that's fair. You know, there was um, something I had read that sort of was talking about some parallels between the aggressive unknown civilizations, mm-hmm. just like committing atrocities mm-hmm. sort of as a matter of course. Mm-hmm. And uh, like the, the Red Guard 
having committed atrocities earlier in the books where it was yeah. like, yeah, yeah, they just came out and they just did this stuff because that's what they did. Yeah. And I th- it, I th- it wasn't, it wasn't like they were doing it like it was malicious, but it wasn't like it wasn't personal. Yeah. It was like, yeah. well, this is what we do. Yeah. It happens. Well, th- there is a lively discourse on if this book is anti-communist or not. Li- lively. <laughs> and, and, I mean, that, and that's one of the things, that's one of the questions I think is very interesting. It's actually not one I want to wait in on. <laughs> oh, no, I don't yeah, know. It's not one I want to weigh in on because it's like, holy, that opens whole cans of, whole cans of worms I am just not equipped to deal with. Um, but, you know, I think, uh, and my, my, my take on this week is just wildly interesting, fun. I love the science, I love the science and technology things posited. I really enjoy, like, the talk of, like, gravitational transmit- transmission, like, using gravity as a way to communicate. I think knowing some of the, knowing Pasquale, our, our physicist friend, guest friend of the show, former guest, you know, his work is a lot in quantum gravity and doing this kind of stuff. And it's real. Like, there's some really exciting, it's, there's some exciting potentiality in it. And it was cool to see someone exploring that in a fictional way. Um, so I enjoyed that. I enjoyed the talk about theoretical physics. I liked as much as the sofons are brain bending and then brain breaking, um, sofons are like these little tiny quantum particle, like a subatomic particle sized machines that are infinitely powerful uh, and wild. Um, you know, it's a crazy, there's a lot of really cool and very, and things that are quite unique to this world. Like, I don't think, you know, often in science fiction, like, oh yeah, that's the this. You know, it's like the, and it's in all the science fiction books of this type. Oh, it's the hyperdrive. It's the go fast box. And it's in all the kind of fantasy sci-fi things, right? You know, uh, very, not many of those things in this. I gotta say, there's a lot of very, just packed with a lot of novel, cool kind of concepts and kind of fun and everything kind of its own kind of physics-y explanation, even if I, again, I didn't understand all the time. And even if maybe, you know, the basis on that is not really signed, it has no, there's no experimental basis for those, some of those things, there was at least a theoretical basis for the things they did encounter. Um, it was also causes the book to be quite long and have somewhat some digressions, actually, like talking about higher higher dimensions. Yeah. One of the things this book posits is that there have been the universe was in its initial design many higher many dimensions higher than three, and has since been shaved through this process of of dimensional dimensional reduction. That through this process of shaving off dimensions, the universe has been reduced down to to three or less uh, in some places, and so then that there's like you know that that there was actually the universe was kind of filled with what to us seem like godlike beings uh who are now kind of who've all kind of been like basically pushed out of the universe by this war and i guess i guess in this world you can say like you know on the one hand you can call that a cynicism but i think you can also i mean i see i see everything as being i think there's there's also a dimension of struggle right and what role does struggle play and i think like there is like yes there are bad people they're doing bad things and if they go unopposed they will ruin everything um, you know, so the question is, how do you how do you fight them? And one of the things is typically the people who are pulling for the good things and the things that you actually want your society and your world to be are not very good at fighting. <laughs> uh, so you know, how do you, how do you sort that out? How do you do that? Um, you know, because on the other hand, because I think like in the face of in the face of tr- tremendous brutality and violence, you also just can't kind of like lie down and say, well, at least I have my nobility. <laughs> All right. You can kill me now. Like, no, like you, at a certain point you have to like, so what point do you meet that? You know, and where, where's the dialectic, I guess. And this is this, I guess. So to side with you in your thing about it's like, it's pessimism and like this sort of buying of this Darwinian conception of the universe. Uh, like where, where, where's the synthesis? Where do we go? Cause I, and maybe, maybe it does that. Like I say, it's, it's when Chengxin when Chengxin fails to deploy the sword holder measure, uh, I think that's an ambivalent thing in the book. I don't think it's necessarily depicted as a bad thing because 
uh, it had more to do with what was going on societally in within Trisolaris than, and within human society than it actually had anything to do with Chungshin um, as a character or as a person, you know, and ultimately that there was... So it, it was just coincidental that it was what? the main female character it that wasn't, did it. It wasn't coincidental. I mean, I mean, if you read that book, even to some extent, it blames that there, it says that ultimately what one was Trisolaris' psychological warfare measures, that actually Chungshin was the byproduct of, of an intensive charm campaign charm offensive like you know i mean you can get into that and i think this talks about like and i mean and multi, at multiple times there is a lot of irregular warfare doctrine uh laced throughout this book i mean even going back to the dark forest where they actually directly mentioned like china's historical like regular warfare document that was i think written by two chinese air force colonels in the early 2000s like you know so there's a lot of this stuff and so like one of the things that's happening in in earth's journey deterrence area is trisolaris the trisolarians start making movies about humans having never met one and these movies and plays and art and novels become a hugely popular thing with humans wow they know us better than we know ourselves and there becomes there's a tendency then to empathize with the trisolarians to a great extent um and to see them as, as having great nobility and great humanity and and that has more to do with chung Shin becoming the sword holder than anything else you know um which you know then then that plays right into your thing about like how this is this is a bad thing this is inherently this this lack of resolve and lack of strength is a crippling <laughs> right failure. right but you know then it also means how do you how do you so like it's it's a complicated issue but i yes. think i think they came down on the side of women have an essential character and it can be exploited with humanity and and men men don't have that character and, and i and i and i and i see it i guess i'm being more on the side of like like there needs to be a balance of of compassion and of, and resolve of you know of, of 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 kindness of softness and strength which i think it's like the kind of which is the equilibrium they're trying to attain in society which has its own confucian connotation i guess which is maybe and me in a maybe orientalist sense even projecting onto it so you know again this is again losing <laughs> how do you how do you do this <laughs> uh moving on to something sort of um completely well, relatively unrelated to any of these critiques something that i thought was a, a really neat sort of like economic idea yes in this book uh was really the the mobilization of of earth's economy uh that we see multiple times in here that you know the crisis era hits and a world government is formed and they just say here's the plan here's what we've got to get done we are all working toward that and there's no quibbling over like well, what sort of debt are we going to take on with that, though? It's like, no, think we, about the we, future. Yeah, exactly. No, yeah. there is. No. <laughs> By thinking about the future, they say, screw it. It's not worth counting up the dollars of this. It's worth saying we have the resources, the technology, the, the labor force to be able to construct a fleet, to construct an underground civilization. And we're doing it. Yeah. We're making that happen. We're going underground, people. And they made it happen. Yeah. Yeah. And they, they went underground. They have a, a thriving civilization and they have a huge fleet of a huge i can't remember the number but it was it was hundreds yeah. of ships there are hundreds of hundreds of ships in the human fleet with with yeah like it's just it's an, yeah. this unimaginable thing and with math and the i mean in the the distance they travel technologically in 200 years is massive right and at one point it almost destroys the earth like at one point right. like right they, they imperil themselves and in this you see like in metaphors into into modern chinese history like you talk like in, in a certain sense you see in anal analogies to the great leap forward absolutely like when there was like <laughs> everyone will do we are going to be industrialized so everyone starts smelting steel like everyone starts yeah everyone do this. this do this in your homes people um, and so like you yeah it, it, it comes with its own flaws and the, but you know whatever they solve them technology yay uh but but just this idea that you can 
mobilize the economy and just like say, we have the resources, we have what we need, we're doing this thing. Um, and, and so I think this is pretty close to like modern monetary theory where, where they're saying like, it's a bit more complex than this, obviously, but it's sort of like, well, we have the resources, we have the people, we have everything we need to, we, we make the money. Yeah. <laughs> to, like, if we have the stuff. Yeah, the we, money we, shouldn't be an obstacle. Right. Um, so, of course, we can provide healthcare to people. We already do provide healthcare to people. Why don't we just pay for it, right? Because w- what does it matter? We're already doing it. We already... We could even do it better. Right. Because <laughs> currently, there's a whole bunch of people not getting, not getting treatment. Who could get treatment? There's capacity. Oh, yeah, yeah, but yeah. But they yeah. don't get it because of, only because of money. Right. And the money is a shitty obstacle and like, to like, doing something uh, you can otherwise we, do. We have a climate crisis. To, to think that we don't is, is ignorance of, in the most dangerous form. We have a climate crisis. We also have many potential solutions to that climate crisis. If we would just stop saying, well, how are we going to pay for this? What about the future, though? Like, what about all of the debt we're going to have if we save the planet? Just sort of like, don't worry about it. Yeah, debt, debt is irrelevant if the whole world is going to, if the entire financial and state system is going to collapse. We could also just a fiery ball. That's <laughs> a law that the debt no longer exists. Ta-da, it's gone. Well, yeah, but I think we, but I mean, like, that's one of the things I think is like money. I mean, this, but that, that, that's looking at money as a social relationship. Yes. Right? And then when you see money as a social relationship, then, then, then power, then, then states and powerful people have to admit to the fact that they do not want to introduce trouble into their social relationship with, 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 with people, rich people. With money. With rich people. Yeah. With the people with yeah, power. Yeah. Which means, which is inevitably what they are sending themselves towards is a conflict. No, absolutely. With, absolutely. With the capitalists. And, you know, I, I can totally understand that you would rather watch the entire world burn and have an uncomfortable conversation with Jeff Bezos. Yeah, exactly. I don't want to talk to him, period. <laughs> uh, I'm real bad at dealing with conflict. <laughs> so I get it. I buy that from Trump. You know, <laughs> why do you think he made a TV show about firing people? He can't do it. <laughs> it's compensatory. <laughs> this makes me uncomfortable to talk about. So let's not. And instead, we all just die. I mean, I think I mean I've seen introvert memes that say exactly that. So, <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, yes, uh, scarcity versus post scarcity. You talked about that. Or? Yeah, no, I want to. I think, okay. I think we should just like yeah, yeah, and like and it's just the, one of the things one of the byproducts of this mobilization of the economy, like where where like the social and political drive starts dictating how the economy functions over the allocation of funds rather than rather than money. I guess, rather than like a more explicit social relationship than a more of a implicit social relationship, which is money. Uh, when, when this ultimately brings humanity to a, to a, a near post scarcity state during deterrence era, uh, which is partially, part of, which again is partially part of their problems because then they be start, you know, again, they, they come into the inherent conflict of being a, an, an egalitarian post scarcity society that's built on this very fundamentally martial concept. And that incongruence is a problem. However you want to, and however else that gets dressed up problematically aside. So there is this issue that like that, like that ultimately if you, if you do like you don't get, and this is like, I mean, this is my primary critique against libertarians, right? Who say like, well, by having a, a the optimal ruthless system, we will attain a, a post scarcity and right. optimal distribution of well-being and something that ultimately accommodates everyone. Uh, well, that, that un, untrue because the only way to get to post scarcity you have because because post scarcity means you are going to artificially or social socially um, place constraints on the flow of capital, and you're going to expressly say people have to have houses, people have to have food, 
and you're not going to, you know, um, over than saying what, what might there be there necessarily there, their the value time of their labor and, and it's relative exchange value for, for goods, you know, um, and you might have to constrain that, you know, to constrain that impulse to get there, but that's how you get there. That's the only way you get there. Actually, you can't because it will never be that way on its own because there will always be more people. <laughs> there must be no because otherwise you're continuously confounded by the Malthusian trap, right? Like the notion that there's always more mouths to feed and any prosperity you have will be gobbled up by by the birth rate. I mean, no, I mean not true because there is birth control and mechanisms <laughs> to relieve that. But 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 when you live in a completely capitalist laissez-faire system, unless you constrain like the impulse of people's desires, or the, unless you make a conscious effort. To do, bet, to do better and to distribute things better and to organize yourselves and plan the way you produce goods that actually meet people's needs, um, then you won't ever actually get to a place where you are responding to people's needs because you've never built that kind of system. Right, and, right, and right. And you need that conscious, that conscious effort has to happen. And you don't get that when you, when you relegate everything to the abstraction of the social, when you value princi- primarily the, the, the exchange, the social relationship that money represents, if, which is the exchange relationship. If you only respond to people's needs... If they can pay you for it, yeah, you'll never recognize that people who can't pay you for it have a need. Yes, exactly. Yes, very good. Yeah, and this is and so this is why this is this is why only plan to con. This is why there you can actually the the only way to utopia is at least passing through a planned economy phase, <laughs> right? You can't. There's, there's no no other way to get there. All other roads are blocked. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'll buy that. Yeah. And I think, and this book gets that. <laughs> yeah. I'll buy that for a dollar. <laughs> <laughs> no, you won't. You will buy it as a, <laughs> you will buy it with your enfranchisement in the post scarcity <laughs> utopia. Super. Yeah. Death's end. It is, uh, it is a complex book. It's a big book. There's a lot really good about it. There are some things that are problematic about it. Some things that are um, just strange. <laughs> yeah, and some and some things that are strange and, and probably, you know what, are just I don't have the context for. Yeah. They're just things we didn't talk about, like weird literary <laughs> waifus and <laughs> Oh, so I much mean. in here. We, like just outside the realm of, of what yeah, we talked about. Things. And we've talked for a long yeah. time about it. So. Yeah, so we're we're gonna let you go now. I guess we're gonna, <laughs> um you know, I mean if you've waited you've waited you've read three books and waited several months for this podcast. So <laughs> I hope it lived up to your expectations. <laughs> Uh, so what do you say we uh, what do you say we move on to the closing phase? Yeah, 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 yeah. So uh, yeah. So Marshall, can you why don't you why don't we go over to you for the production forecast? Yeah, uh, for well, the near future. One well, thank been, you, Stephen. Uh, production for this podcast is looking good into the future. We have strong production predictions for the next uh, four to six weeks. There's a big content front moving in from the <laughs> north. I see. <laughs> Uh, but seriously, yeah, we 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 do recognize that uh, we are sometimes irregular yeah. in in our in our posting, and we apologize for that. Uh, we do appreciate you listening. Uh, we do, though. We have we have a couple of things sort of in the pipe right now. Um, so we're we are anticipating uh, you know a, a weekly podcast or at least yeah, like I said, kind of like four to six weeks. We've got like yeah content, so yeah. that's that's looking good. Yeah, and then barring any personal disasters in our personal lives or rapid onsets of on we <laughs> we should make it you know? yeah and and we'll we'll try and do a better job of keeping you uh, updated about how things are going so uh yeah do stay tuned we've got some 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 neat things happening yeah all right well and uh, yeah i guess with that we will be signing off uh, i'm as always your co-host steven and i can be if you want to get in touch with me and yell at me why i'm wrong uh you can find me at steve steve at androids and assets.ca by email 
or you can tweet me at Steve Droids. Yeah, Steve Droids, plural. Yeah, <laughs> no, not Steve Droids, singular. Ooh, that's Steve Droids, singular. Anywho, uh, yeah, that's me. And Marshall, where can people find you? Oh, I, uh, I am and remain faithfully yours at Econo Boyd. Oh, wonderful. It's like, love typing that. <laughs> Uh, you can also find uh, the show. We post recent episodes uh, and various and sundry other things um, at Asset Droid on both uh, Instagram and Twitter. Yeah. And, and really, really, I listened to our recent uh, interviews with uh, Carl Schrader and Cory Doctorow. They were so good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're, we're hoping are, to have uh, oh, more interviews for you in the future uh, with, with a wide variety of authors. And, and uh, I think we're generally aiming for new releases of things. Yeah, we'd like to, we'd so. like to be like, we can give our fingers on the beat. And 2020 promises to be an amazing freaking year. Yeah, I we have some. There are some wild, I mean, new, new William Gibson book coming out yeah you know we, we just had a new book from natalie knew it's already this year like mm. oh, i guess that was 2019 was, yeah it was 2019 but you know anyway but we, we have, we've had some good books coming out and it's exciting i think a very exciting time for science fiction in general so yeah no we promise we will we'll go to the source for you the listener <laughs> <laughs> when we have time <laughs> awesome 